0: Moncrief on News Talk,
1: brought to you by Avant Money.
0: Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Time now for news around the world. Uh, Jonathan DeBurka Butler uh, joins us once again. Afternoon. Sean, John. how are you getting on? Not too bad. British, uh, right. Uh, Kenya, we're going to go to first. And a judge uh, has ordered a probe into a fire started by British soldiers. Allegedly, Sean. Allegedly. Before we, we get ourselves say, yes, into indeed. more trouble yes. with Kay Burley.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So. Look, uh, Britain and Kenya signed a an accord uh, called the Defence Cooperation Agreement back in 2015. To be honest with you, I think the British have been operating in Kenya for quite a number of Mm -hmm. years anyway and they have a barracks there called the Nayati Barracks which they refurbished a couple of years ago for £74 million sterling not euros Uh, and uh, what they do there is they send soldiers down there for what they call harsh environment training right? and during one of their training sessions in March of 2021 a fire broke out, Okay, It lasted for four days. One man died, a local man died as a result of of the fire. Now, not directly, indirectly. I think he was going to save animals or some Mm. sort of property of his and he, he, he ended up having a crash and he died. Other people were injured and obviously it ruined part of this particular land, a conservancy basically in central Kenya, which is about 49... 1, acres, right? So it's about a quarter the size of Louth, okay? So it's oh, a big crikey, old place. yeah. Right? So uh, I think 12,000 acres of that was absolutely destroyed. And obviously locals were looking to blame it on someone because they wanted compensation for loss of income and environment and all that kind of thing. So they took a case, a thousand of them along with an NGO took a case to a local court. The British army Uh, for their part, said, oh, look, it's nothing to do with us. And anyway, we have diplomatic immunity here, right? So the first part of the case and the first judgment that came across from the judge last week was, well, you do have a case to answer here. And under the terms of that particular defence and cooperation agreement from 2015, you actually have to put an intergovernmental liaison committee together and both you, Britain, and the government of Kenya need to carry out an investigation to see who is responsible for this fire and if it's found that the British Army were responsible they will have to pay compensation. Um, so it's a tricky one for them. It's another sort of slightly embarrassing shall we say mm. situation that the British Army abroad have found themselves in and uh, it remains to be seen what will happen but uh, so far they've, there's been a lack of Graciousness about it, I suppose. You know, yeah. saying "oh, nothing to do with us." You know, mm. uh, if, if they were willing to sort of turn around and, and you know maybe hold up their hands, it might have been a better start. But they're not releasing any of the results of the internal investigation because obviously they're saying internal. You know, yeah. in other investigations are ongoing, so uh, we'll have to see how it plays um, out. Um,
0: but up to this point, has the Kenyan government made any public statement about this?
1: Not that, uh, not that i could, uh, not that i not that i found to be honest with you they're they're not getting involved either as far as i know i think what they were hoping the court might do is put it all onto the british army and they'd stay out of it uh but at this point no but they you know they're going to be held jointly responsible if the investigation finds finds that they are yeah. i mean they, they, they they'll be told to pay compensation and obviously they're going to have to um try and restore the damaged forest.
0: Yeah. Now, and presumably this fire started because these were uh, British soldiers training out in the wild. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe what was a campfire or something? It could and have they, been and something that. They burned like that. down twelve thousand rubbish
1: soldiers. I, I, again, we don't know the details of it, but yes, it just uh, it just seems to be the case that there's no smoke without fire. As yeah. The Crown's yes, right. <laughs> kind of army, really. Yeah.
0: Uh, right, uh, Chad. We're going to go to next, uh, and uh, a very serious story: Protests are being shot and killed.
1: Yeah. This this is one of these reports that came out from Human Rights Watch last week and, and Human Rights Watch they tend to take their time with these reports rightfully uh, they gather you know witness statements and videos and all the proof that they need to to issue the reports and this actually happened at the end of January this year right so on the 24th of January in a town called Abachay right it's about it's, it's in the east of Chad historically a very important town it has quite small though it's population about 80,000 people in it And there's always ethnic tension, or or not always, there's a history of ethnic tension in Chad, okay, generally between indigenous sub-Saharan Africans and... formerly nomadic Arabs, okay? We don't need to really go into the massive details of it, but quite often it's over land or who is, you know, ruling one particular village or one particular town at a particular time. And what happened here is that on the 24th of January, it looks like an elected official from the Arab community was being inaugurated to become the sultan of the town and there was a sultan already there from another tribe. okay, And that other tribe weren't particularly happy about it. They went out, they protested, things began to get tense and at some point the army opened fire. Okay, they killed three people on that day including a 12 year old boy. The next day at the funeral of the three, at the funerals of the three people who had been shot more demonstrators came out. Ten people were shot by the army at that particular, uh, at those particular events. Now it's thought Some witnesses say that they saw the car of the local governor, this is on the first day when the three people were shot, that they saw the car of the local governor pull up and consult with the army and shortly after that the shooting started. So whether the local governor was in cahoots with the new sultan that was being brought in to replace the old sultan, okay, this is all local government by the way, Um, we don't know. But very soon after this incident he was replaced and compensation was paid to the families. Of the uh, of the victims,
0: mm-hmm. were all the victims from one side in this dispute? Th- they were
1: absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely,
0: yeah. Uh, and has so has the army apologised? Have they? Have they?
1: so the army the so what you have in chad right is a problem at the moment in that there was a the army have taken power right so you might remember mm, late yeah. last year idris dibby was assassinated up in the north of the country when he was going up to visit the army to see how they were getting on against militants he was assassinated his son who is in the army has taken over so it's effectively a military junta there now okay not that it was ever that far away from it anyway they said initially that the army did not shoot anyone they tried to bring order to a violent demonstration where civilians yeah. used weapons people were killed property was destroyed and they say that they reacted in a proportionate manner it doesn't really tally with the compensation that was later on paid to the 13 mm. families but there you go uh,
0: and is that the end of the matter now or is can it be taken any further
1: well the Human Rights Watch are trying to take it further but you know to be honest with you no disrespect to Human Rights Watch but none yeah. of these people li- ever listen to them and that's the whole point of them to be honest with you
0: yeah Right, uh, Spain we're going to go to uh, next. Uh, and now this is a case about uh, um, uh, somebody trying to get access in. Is this in this small enclave yeah. that's in North Africa yeah, that's yeah, yeah. uh, controlled by Spain? Yeah, there's uh, two of them there, yeah. Yeah, and the way uh, a young man was treated by the police there.
1: Yeah, so you've got two two enclaves on, on African soil. They're in Morocco, Quetta and Malila. Okay, we've spoken about them before. Now this one is in relation to Malila. Okay, and last Wednesday and Thursday, Approximately three, nearly 4,000 people tried to scale the fence there. It's six meters tall. The, 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 there's documentaries on it, that are very interesting. Mm-hmm. Basically, people gather in the hills around it, they wait. And they stormed the fence, okay? and they all try and get over. And last week, out of the nearly 4,000 that stormed the fence, uh, about 800 made it over, Okay, One video was captured of a man against sub-Saharan African who was making his way over the other side of the fence. And as he was getting down close to the other side and into Spanish territory, he was attacked by police. When he got to the ground, he was pepper sprayed and five policemen jumped on him and beat them up, OK? So this was caught on TV, it was covered and widely spread um, through the internet and on social media and that kind of thing. So there's been a bit of an uproar, as you can imagine, again, from human rights groups mm. and that kind of thing. Um, but the Interior Minister has defended the behaviour of the police and has basically said, look, the level of violence that these police are having to deal with at the moment has really escalated. You know, four thousand people tried to get over a fence. You're yeah. trying to stop them, right? Uh, he's saying that that an awful lot of these people who are trying to get over the fence are using meat hooks, sticks, hammers, and so on. But it's it's um, it's very difficult to know whether that's true or not. Well, it's 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 it is true. Like, I mean, it is that violence has been is being is being used on both sides. I mean, there's 60 police in hospital as a result of injuries, but there's 52 migrants also being treated for their injuries as well. So the levels of violence and desperation on both sides is quite extraordinary. And I I think, to be honest with you, it it kind of, if I can for a minute, it relates back to the story before, you know, military is right across the Sahara and the Sahel that we've been going on about now for weeks. We're looking at the uh, problems, the refugees coming in from Ukraine. And if you think about 2015, there was 1.3 million migrants that came in from North Africa into the south of Europe. And I think an awful lot of these, the people who are facilitating these migrants making their way over are going to say, listen, lads, everybody's looking east at Ukraine. Now is the time to, to make your way ac- across yeah. the Mediterranean. And I think we're going to see masses of, of migration uh, this summer. It's only uh, March.
0: Uh, when they make it into the enclave then, the, the, uh, are the, the, the Spanish authorities duty-bound then to, to, to give them refuge or can they just send them Spanish. back? They're on yeah. Spanish soil but there is
1: reports that they are in fact being sent back, that they're secretly being shepherded back, up, back through the fence uh, and this is something else. It's a, it's, at the moment it's a side issue Right, so that 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 human rights organisations are basically saying, right. Well, first of all, you shouldn't be beating up on these people, but we also know that some of them are being sent back as well. No, they're they're absolutely supposed to be processed and looked after.
0: Yeah, and well, yeah, we'll betide them if they try and uh, and do that through Libya, uh, where yeah. people are being uh, b- basically murdered, raped, and thrown well, thrown in prison well, there. They, all they, at the 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 EU taxpayers' uh, euro. Yeah, there. absolutely. For that.
1: But this is the reason this route. Is now becoming a route of choice, it's always been there. This mm. this route through Spain, but it's becoming a route of choice, and 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 I think spe- pure speculation on my part, Sean. To be honest with you, but I think this is where you're going to see a, a lot of activity this mm. summer.
0: Right, uh, go to Venezuela uh, next, <laughs> and uh, a, a better story, I suppose. It's released two U.S. citizens. Why were they uh, being held in the first place? So,
1: two U.S. citizens. Uh, they were they were being held because. Um, Well, they were being held on trumped-up charges, uh, to be honest with you. okay. so one of them, Gustavo Cardenas, is is an executive with a company called Citgo. Um, That was a US refining company that was once controlled by Venezuela's state oil firm, right? And he was one of six people who've been called the Citgo Six, right? They're all US citizens, although I think most of them were probably either born or have some connection with Venezuela. They were arrested back in 2017 for corruption. Right mm-hmm. now, don't ask me the details of the corruption right. because it's okay. pointless. There it was probably none whatsoever. This is a personal thing from Maduro's side, um, and 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 keeping them there. The other person was a man by the na- is a man by the name of Jorge Fernandez, and he was caught last year on the border with Cono- uh, Colombia. Um, he was smuggling a drone in for some reason. Right now, what's really interesting about this is obviously there's a shortage of oil. Mm. And um, we know because I went home last week after this slot <laughs> and I googled Venezuela because I said to myself I bet you they're going to start talking to Maduro and sure enough they are. There was a US delegation in Caracas last week and they did say when they went back to the went back to Washington and they were asked about what was discussed they said oil was on the table. So all of a sudden now Nicolas Maduro who uh, has had sanctions imposed on him since his re-election in 2019 might become uh, the new Colonel Gaddafi, like you know, the what new I mean? best the new, friend. The new yeah. best friend. I mean, they did the exact same thing with Gaddafi all those years ago. Gaddafi didn't know what had happened. All of a sudden, they want to talk to me, and Maduro could well be the
0: same. Um, and oh. and it's just very interesting and really cynical. Uh, it is really cynical. But you know, uh, uh, people must. heard it on the, on the news bulletin. There, the massive uh, uh, price increases here, even uh, right. Uh, Guatemala. We're going to go to you next. Uh, a bit of a lurch to the right in that country.
1: Yeah it's 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 a strange one this uh, it's Congress voted in favor of a law which pr- would have prohibited quite a few things so this law was called the life and family protection law right and it was passed there's a there's a unicameral system in Guatemala right 160 MPs only 8 of them opposed this particular law right so what it, it, what it would have meant, right? So it would have prohibited same-sex marriage. They don't have it, but it would have specifically put mm. a block on it, okay? It would have stopped the teaching of sexual diversity in schools and it would have upped the sentences for people who carried out abortions illegally, right? So it's illegal in Guatemala unless there's a threat to the, to the woman's That's life, yeah. okay? So they would have trebled the sentences. Now, as I said, it was, it was only opposed by eight MPs out of 160 so it was making its way up to the president um, by the name of Ale- Alejandro Giametti. And he is a conservative, right? He's mm-hmm. part of the ruling party in there. So everybody thought, ah, no bother, he's going to sign this and we're away. But he didn't. Last Thursday, he basically announced, I'm not going near this. And he said to the speaker, he didn't even want to look at it. He said, I want you to shell the, the law. And if it makes its way to my office, I'm going to veto it. It violates the constitution and international agreements Signed by the countries. Okay. Very unexpected. And uh, not only did he say that he wasn't going to sign it, but he also say he also distanced himself from it and said that this had nothing to do with my office. It didn't originate from here. Not my idea.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Mm. Right, New Caledonia uh, next, and uh, this is a doctor standing trial for murder.
1: Yeah, a man by the name of Olivier Perez. So New Caledonia is is an island to the east of Australia, population of yeah. about a quarter of a million people. So you can imagine a, a murder trial in, in a country with a quarter of a million people is going to cause a bit of a stir. Uh, his... Wife apparently was having an affair uh, with a man called Eric Martinez and uh, Perez decided to take a gun and shoot him on a golf
0: course. Uh, Now,
1: I don't know whether they were playing... This is
0: like a daytime (laughs) soap.
1: (laughs) There's a touch of falcon crest about it. it. Uh, I don't know if they were playing golf together or what happened, but anyway, three shots were fired. It happened four years ago. And Perez is basically saying that he had no intention of committing murder, uh, but that he shot... you know, point blank rage. He fired the third shot of point blank rage at Martinez because he thought that he was carrying a knife, and indeed, a knife was found on him, and he thought he was going to be murdered. So he's he's basically saying, "Please don't send me to jail for homicide. I might take manslaughter." Um, and so, so that's the crux of it. To be honest with you,
0: <laughs> that's uh, yeah, and yeah, no doubt this is massive uh, news. There, oh uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, right, and uh, uh, to bet we're going to go to our uh, and. I suppose, again, it's one of these stories that things are happening elsewhere so the world gets a bit distracted. This is is specifically about Tibetan children and what they're going to be taught.
1: Yeah, so it's Tibetan children who return to schools uh, after the winter break and they're going into classes and they're being taught through Chinese only, right? So part of... China and what being Chinese and part of that federation, if you call it, was all about was that they said at least that they you know, would acknowledge the different cultures within the country and part of that was that you would be educated through your own language, whether mm-hmm. it was Inner Mongolian or the Turkic languages that the Uyghurs have up in uh, Xinjiang um, and it's the same with Tibet now. They, they've been told that no longer can you educate your children in public schools through uh, whatever the local language is there, Tibetan, I assume, mm. uh, it has to be through Han Chinese. Uh, they've translated all the books into Han Chinese and the kids will no longer be uh, taught through their own language.
0: Uh, and you can't help but think that's part of a a strategy to try and eradicate uh, their culture. Right, what should we look out for over the next week or so, Jonathan? Yeah, Wednesday
1: is a funny sort of an anniversary, 34th 34th anniversary of of the the Kurds being killed in Iraq by chemical weapons, Mm. if you remember that. Yeah. Um, a timely reminder, I yes, hope not, yeah, uh, yeah. to be honest. Probably why I put it in there, to be honest with you. Um, there's municipal elections then on Thursday in the Netherlands and then uh, Saturday, which I am going to cover uh, next week because I haven't done this country for a long time, presidential elections in East Timor, which should be quite interesting.
0: Jonathan, thanks a million. Thanks As ever, know. Jonathan de Berke Butler, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, 45 years since the disappearance of Mary Boyle.